Our passage today is Jonah 3, verses 1 through 10. Jonah 3, verses 1 through 10. So if you want to flip in your Bibles or just follow along in the uh, printed worship. Again, Jonah 3, verses 1 through 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out, against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, And his nobles, let neither man or beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God is a God of second chances. God is a God of second chances. You know, a few weeks ago when we began the book of Jonah, we heard the Lord called to Jonah. And we we heard in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and you might notice it sounds very familiar to what we just read. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it, for their evils come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And you might have heard the purposeful parallelism between the initial call and what Kevin just read for us today. Because today we heard, again, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it, the message I tell you. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. So in both cases, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Jonah rises. The first time he rises and he goes in disobedience, running from the presence of the Lord. The second time he rises in obedience, he goes according to the word of the Lord. And you heard chapter 3, the point that this was the word of the Lord coming to Jonah a second time. The emphasis is that this is a second chance because God is a God of second chances. Now, the problem with second chances is that no one deserves them. 
The problem with second chances is that no one deserves them. They're just unfair. And we've known that since childhood. In fact, many of us still regularly hear our own children protest the unfairness of second chances. That's unfair. You shouldn't get a second chance. You're not just going to let that go, are you? You know, when the crime is someone else's, we want immediate justice. But when the crime is your own, what do you want? I, I want a second chance. I want justice for them, but I want mercy, a second chance for me. And that's Jonah's attitude here, isn't it? He wants a second chance for him, but he wants justice for all of them. You see, Jonah here, we see him riding the wave of a second chance all the way into Nineveh, and yet when he gets there, what does he want for the Ninevites? He doesn't want to give them a second chance. He wants the Ninevites to get exactly what's coming to them. The guy riding on the wind of mercy wants them to get justice. And this appears evident because judgment is the whole theme of Jonah's recorded message. Now, there's a good chance that Jonah probably said much more as he made his way through Nineveh, but all we get in verse 4 is a one-sentence summary of his message. And it was a message of judgment. Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And when Jonah uses that word overthrown, you know, that's actually the exact same Hebrew word that we find in Genesis chapter 19 when it talks about the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah. So Jonah quite literally shows up preaching fire and brimstone. Forty days, fire and brimstone. This is not a seeker-sensitive message. There's nothing subtle in this or, or softening the blow. However, even more than that, when you look at the message you know what we don't hear? We don't hear any offer of escape. We don't hear any hope of escape. The old turn or burn, well, at least that offers the option of turning. Hope for escape from the burning. But Jonah simply says, hey, you guys are goners. Your expiration date is set in stone. Forty days full stop, no appeal on the docket today, just your sin, just punishment, and the justice that sin will bring upon itself. There's no hope here in the recorded message of Jonah of the second chance, is there? Because, as we're going to hear next week, Jonah didn't want the people of Nineveh to get a second chance. They don't deserve a second chance. It would be unfair to give them a second chance. God can't just forgive their sin and disobedience. Would he? So the prophet, forgiven of his own sin and disobedience, rides the wave of a second chance into Nineveh, gleefully proclaiming the message of no second chances for you. Forty days and you're going to get your due for your sin and your disobedience. And guess what? It ain't going to be pretty. We want mercy for us. We want justice for them. Don't give me what I deserve, but give them exactly what's coming to them. A second chance for me, a final warning for them. And friends, how are you and I guilty of that same attitude in our hearts and our lives? Are there relationships that you're right now in? I deserve forgiveness, mercy, a second chance. But he, well, he deserves the attitude that I'm giving him. She, she doesn't deserve forgiveness or favor, so I'm justified in withholding it from her. She doesn't deserve it. He, he, deserves, he deserves exactly what's coming to him. 
No appeal in the docket today. Just their own sin. Like Jonah, are there whole groups of people to which you struggle to extend a second chance? Those selfish non-mask wearers don't deserve a hearing or an understanding. Those self-righteous mask wearers don't deserve my consideration or my sensitivity. Those on the other side of the political aisle, whether they be Democrats or Republicans, they're destroying America. I refuse to listen or compromise. You know, those illegals, those minorities, those white men, those silent and complicit, those sexual deviants, those religious extremists, those people don't deserve a second chance. They deserve whatever comes to them. Yet 40 days and you shall be overthrown. No appeal on the docket today. Just your own sin. But me, well, me and those that are like me, well, sure, sometimes, sometimes I do some wrong things. You know, sometimes I sin and disobedient. But there's always mercy. There's always grace, always a second chance. Well, for me. But what about for those people? What about for them? Do they deserve a second chance? Will you give them a second chance? Because our hearts like Jonah protest. They don't deserve a second chance, but you know what? Neither do I. Neither do you. Jonah didn't deserve a second chance. He deserved exactly what was coming to him. He deserved that storm. He deserved a ride in the darkness of the fish's gut. He deserved to be dragged down to the very gates of death by his sin. That's what he deserved. But instead, what did Jonah get? He got mercy. He got what he didn't deserve. He got a second chance. But Jonah's heart, it wasn't willing to extend the exact same mercy to the people of Nineveh that the Lord had just extended to him. Friends, this right here is where the gospel intervenes. See, the gospel, the good news is that God is a God of second chances. Even if his prophet isn't. God is a God of second chances. And to the undeserving prophet, to the undeserving people of Nineveh, to the undeserving people of Chestnut Street Baptist Church, to the undeserving people of Midcoast, Maine, God is a God of second chances. As we sang, everyone needs compassion. A love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness. The kindness of a Savior. The hope of nations. We all find ourselves, everyone, in need of a second chance. Compassion, forgiveness, kindness. We all find that none of us deserves it, though. It's unfair. Second chances are. But compassion, kindness, forgiveness have nothing to do with being fair or deserving and everything to do with grace and mercy. This is the gospel. This is the good news. God is a God of second chances and by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God offers undeserving people forgiveness and a second chance. And friends, those of you that are here today or tuning in with us online, have you received this undeserved gift? Have you trusted in the compassion, the loving kindness of Jesus Christ? Do you know the forgiveness of a second chance? And if not, I or any of the people you've seen up front here this morning would love to talk and to pray with you after the service. And church, you disciples, you followers of Jesus Christ, how are you doing extending to others what has been extended to
to you. Are you doing a better job than Jonah? Are there people towards whom God needs to soften your heart? Who do you need help to forgive and to extend to them a second chance? To whom do you need to run and show kindness? And who are you running from that you should instead be running toward? Who in your life do you need to extend a second chance to or believe that to them God could extend a second chance? Because the gospel, the good news is that God is a God of second chances. And the miracle of this story is that the Ninevites believe it. They take God up on His offer. Chapter 3, verse 5 may be one of the most profound, profoundly understated verses in the Scripture. Chapter 3, verse 5, And the people of Nineveh believed God. Like that is such an understatement. This is a miracle. The savage people known for their cruelty and violence, known today through detailed historical records of their propensity to torture, brutally maim and execute and enslave their enemies, known to practice oppression, dishonesty and violence towards fellow Assyrians, called by some historians as a terrorist state, the people of Nineveh believed God. Friends, this is a miracle. But let's be honest. Adam Colstrom believed God. Is that any less a miracle? Brian Vandenbrink believed God. Is that any less a miracle? Friends, is it any less a miracle when any of us, when any of us believe God? Belief itself is a miracle of God. God is a God of second chances. And by the graceless and tactless preaching of Jonah, who doesn't actually want them to get a second chance, God still brings the Ninevites and gives them a second chance. He brings them to repentance. Church, someone coming to belief is not because of the skill or the tact or the ability of the messenger, but because of the miracle of God's grace. So disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, are you holding back? Are you saying, hey, listen, I can't, I, I can't share my faith with someone else? I mean, I don't have all the answers. I'm not trained. I'm not eloquent. They wouldn't listen. Really? Did you hear Jonah's message? Belief is a miracle of grace. God brings us to faith. God is a God of second chances. And you and I, we're responsible like Jonah was to declare the message. God brings us to faith. The people of Nineveh believed God. Friends, imagine with me. Dream with me. The people of Camden believed God. The people of Rockland believed God. The people of Rockport, Hope, Appleton, Lincolnville, Northport, Belfast, Thomaston, Owlshead, Searsmont, Unity, Warren. The people of Midcoast, Maine believed God. Church, could it happen here? It happened in Nineveh. So what stops us from praying that it would happen here? What stops you from preaching like it could happen here? Do you have a burden that your community, that this community, that this great town might have a second chance by the gospel of Jesus Christ? What holds you back? 
Now, many commentators here have noted that the repentance that the Ninevites showed here was not necessarily a turning to the Lord in faith, but it was a turning from their violence and their evil. Even when you listen to the king's declaration in verse 8, he says, let everyone turn away from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Now, there's no indication here that they're coming to follow the Lord in circumcision or sacrifice or obedience to the Torah law. It's simply turning away from their evil, turning away from violence, turning away from their oppression. Because, friends, God is not neutral towards sin and towards evil. Because sin and evil always destroy and steal life. Injustice and oppression of the vulnerable, the poor, the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner is abhorrent to the Lord. And the Lord desires the destruction of systems which promote and perpetuate violence and evil. Failure to love one's neighbor as oneself must be confronted and corrected. I mean, dare we might even say, from this passage and so many others, that God is a God of social justice. Now, I know the phrase social justice has taken on all kinds of extra baggage and layers of additional meaning that just don't fit the biblical paradigm. But friends, for whatever happened in Nineveh, there's no clear indication that the Ninevites turned to the Lord in faith and started following him. There's simply indication that they turned from their evil, did justly, turned from oppression, violence, and sin. We can't say that God is not concerned for justice. But we do have to say that the Lord's concern for social justice may not be exactly what the world means by social justice. You know, God is clearly concerned about social justice in Nineveh. And from the rest of the scripture, we find the Lord is clearly concerned about justice for the oppressed, the vulnerable, the outcast, the sojourner. And there is so much talk today about justice, isn't there? Racial justice, economic justice, systemic injustice. And I know some followers of Jesus have said the gospel. Well, the gospel has nothing to contribute to these discussions. But the Lord's concern for the evil and the violence in Nineveh might make us think otherwise. I mean, make no mistake, God firmly and unequivocally stands against evil, oppression, and violence. But church, be warned, not everything that parades today as justice matches up with the Lord's definition of justice as revealed in His Word. We always need to make sure we understand what we mean by justice. And we need to understand it according to God's Word, not the spirit of the age or the whims of the crowd. If I might offer an example, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who is not partial, and takes no bribe. And I know some people look at that and they go, look, God is not partial. And some immediately grab onto that and declare, see, God is not partial. Hashtag all lives matter. However, if we continue reading the next two verses, verses 18 and 19 of that same chapter, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Wait, wait, now all of a sudden God seems to be hashtag fatherless lives matter. Hashtag widows lives matter. Hashtag sojourners lives matter. But I thought verse 17 said God wasn't partial in that all lives matter. Church, we need to remember that within any group, within any society, there are always disadvantaged, vulnerable populations, vulnerable to oppression and abuse. 
And God desires that we speak for those who can't speak for themselves. So it is the Lord said through Proverbs chapter 31, verses 8 and 9, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. So yes, all lives do matter. But if there's a particular problem, a group whose voice is not being heard, a group who is being oppressed and treated unfairly, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Defend the rights of the poor or needy. And this is why we, church, regularly say unborn lives matter. We're not saying born lives don't matter. We're not denying that all lives matter, but unborn lives matter draws attention to a problem and speaks for those who cannot speak for themselves, whose voices are not going to be heard. So church, do black lives matter? Of course they do. Of course they do. When the slogan is used to draw attention to a problem and speak for those who can't speak for themselves or feel their voices aren't being heard, it's a cry for justice. But church, we do need to beware because not everything that the world calls justice is what God calls justice. Beware of jumping on the hashtag Black Lives Matter because Black Lives Matter is both a slogan and it's a movement and it's an organization. And so if you're going to make a statement like that, make sure you're being clear with what you support. Because the organization Black Lives Matter, they support abortion on demand because I guess unborn black lives don't matter. They support the disruption of the traditional family the the defunding of police and erasing of all gender lines. So not everything that parades itself as justice in today's world lines up with what God would define as justice. Not everything the world defines as evil and violent is defined as evil and violent by the Scripture. God is concerned for injustice in Nineveh, in America, in Camden, but let's make sure that we're standing for those definitions according to God's definitions. Let's be clear about what we stand for and what we stand against. Church, we can lament and condemn injustice in this world wherever it's found. George Floyd, who was killed while under restraint by police using excessive force. While we wait for the courts to render judgment, we don't wait to grieve a death that should not have happened. We can grieve and condemn the widely publicized murder of Amar Aubrey in Georgia, or grieve the death of Breonna Taylor in, uh, in her own home. We can acknowledge the fear and the pain and the anger that it legitimately provokes in minority communities. We can affirm the greater risk and heightened responsibility for restraint that lethal authority might bear. We can lament both the history and current political climate that makes these events so fraught with trouble and tension. We lament that this world is broken and tragically minorities, the fatherless, the widow, the single mother, the sojourner, have often been mistreated and their voices have gone unheard. So church, yes, let's listen, let's lament, but let's be cautious about getting wrapped up in emotional responses, virtue signaling, slacktivism. Let us, God's people, follow the example of our God by standing against injustice and by speaking for justice, but let's make sure we've defined it according to God and not according to this world. Let's be clear about what we stand for and what we stand against because God is concerned for justice. He was concerned for justice in Nineveh. He's concerned for justice in Camden. He's concerned for justice in America. And we, His people, should be so concerned. But let's be clear about what we mean by justice and what we don't mean by justice. Let's be clear and understand where and how we stand 
in times where this is such a prominent and forthright discussion. And so when we see repentance from the Ninevites, from evil and injustice, we find that it's a turning away from the injustice, and it turns away the Lord's wrath, at least for a time. Verse 10, the concluding verse that Kevin read for us. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. The Lord gave the people of Nineveh a second chance, because our God is a God of second chances. The Lord spoke truth power, this truth powerfully through the prophet Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 18, verse 23, can we mute that? In Ezekiel 18, verse 23, God said, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? God's a God of second chances, and he gave the people of Nineveh a second chance, more time. He relented of the judgment that he was going to bring so that they might have time not only to turn from their evil, but so that some might turn to him in faith. The people of Nineveh received a temporary reprieve from judgment, a postponement of the inevitable, time to repent, not only from their sin, but hopefully also to turn to the Lord. And did they? We don't know for certain. second chances. And what we know for certain, friends, is that if you're hearing this message today, there's still time for you. Time to turn from evil. Time to turn in faith to the Lord. Time to claim a second chance because God is holding back. He's postponing Christ's return and the final judgment on all sin. Not to give you a chance not only to turn from evil, but to turn to Him in faith. The Apostle Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise to return, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The Lord relented from His return, has relented, the Lord relented and did not punish the evil of Nineveh to give them time to repent, to turn to Him, not just from their evil, but turning to Him in faith. And friends, If you have not yet turned to the Lord, today is the day. Because the time is short and no one knows how long we have. So turn not just from evil and from sin, but by faith in Jesus, turn to the Lord. Because God is a God of second chances. And church, who of you, church, those of you who have already turned to the Lord, from whom are you withholding a second chance? To whom you need to extend that second chance today? Because yes, second chances are just not fair. It wasn't fair that Jonah got a second chance. It wasn't fair that Nineveh got a second chance. It wasn't fair that we got a second chance. But the good news is God doesn't always give us what's fair or what we deserve. He gives us mercy and grace. And so friends, that person or persons, it's not fair that you should extend to him or to her or to them that second chance. But by his grace and by his power, will you? And more than that, Chestnut Street Baptists, let's rise and proclaim to this great city 
the city of Camden, the mercy of God has shown to us in Jesus Christ our Lord that God is a God of second chances. And let us pray that this city, like the great city of Nineveh, might turn in repentance and experience the utterly unfair and incomparably beautiful mercy of God that is found for us in Jesus Christ. For as we sang, Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. And Hallelujah, He is my life. Let's proclaim that and let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are a God of second chances and that's why we're here. None of us is here because we deserve to be here. We've earned being here. We're here because you're a God of second chances. And Father, I pray if there are those here physically or those who've tuned in with us this morning who need a second chance that, Father, they might not wait but might turn to you in faith that they might seek you, that they might pray, and Lord, that you might hear and extend to them by the power of Jesus Christ, by what he's done for us in his death and his resurrection, the second chance that they so desperately need. And Father, we pray that you might empower each one of us to extend to others that second chance as we need to. And more than that, that you might give us boldness to proclaim the God of second chances to our communities, to our families, to our workplaces, and to this world. Thank you. Thank you and praise you that you are a God of second chances. And so, Lord, as we go from here, may we go with that truth changing our hearts and upon our lips. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Friends, let's stand together and let's sing a closing prayer. This song is a closing prayer. Take my life and let it be consecrated, set apart to you, Lord, to be used for your glory and for your will.